Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, yeah, okay. Um, we're, we are following a theme of, of mission and, and about what, what is missional. And we, we talked last week, if you remember, John came and he talked last week. And he talked about how Jesus has given five types of gift into the church and that they are there to enable the church. So they are there to enable the church. And that's one of the quite the interesting things that we talk about, is that they were given to enable, to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and be in unity with faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So we're talking really about mission and about the roles that happen in church that help with mission. And the first one that's talked about is apostles. Now, here's an interesting thing. First of all, what apostles are is much misunderstood, um, and it hasn't got a brilliant history. It, it actually has a history of, being, of disappearing almost entirely from a lot of church teaching for a very long time, and then re-emerging as just simply meaning people who are missionaries uh, which is not entirely true. And I think this is one of the challenges about talking about what an apostle is. There's an awful lot gets said that isn't entirely true. It's not necessarily entirely not true, but it doesn't really tell us much. And I think that's one of the interesting things. So here we go. So an apostle, for example, is not directly related to massive charismatic leadership. Although lots of people who are seen as having massive charismatic leadership are then labeled as being apostolic. But this is, in fact, not the case. It doesn't rule out that somebody might be apostolic and be quite charismatic in their leadership. But it also doesn't define somebody. In fact, there are lots of people not apostolic who are quite charismatic. Um, so it doesn't. And Paul himself. Who, who suffered from this quite a lot because he was accused quite often in the church, particularly the Corinthian church. He had a very up-and-down relationship with the Corinthians. But, but they, they, quite often there was a body in the church that said that he was just frankly too unimpressive to, to be a particularly apostolic. And they said, yeah, his, his letters sound big, but when you meet him, frankly, he's just not that impressive. And, and, you know, clearly he was an apostle, but he wasn't that charismatic. And that was quite interesting. The second thing that is that apostles are not defined by signs and wonders. They're not defined by signs and wonders and miracles. However, it is true that signs and wonders and miracles are part of the apostolic. It's not true that that defines them. In fact, Jesus said it doesn't define anybody. What did he say? This is Jesus in Mark, and he said, people will come and say, look, here's the Messiah. There is the Christ, and there will be lots of false messiahs and false prophets, and they will do signs and wonders, and they will deceive all sorts of people, even the elect, meaning you and I. So whereas that's not excluded from the apostolic, it's not definitive as the apostolic. We'll come back to signs and wonders in a little bit. Okay, the, the last one is this, that the apostolic is not directly related to leading lots of churches at the same time. Now, again, historically, particularly in the last 100, 120 years, the certain church groups have defined apostolic as that. You're an apostle because you lead lots of churches. 
The reality is that there are lots of people who lead lots of churches very well who are not in the least bit apostolic. Some of them are very good administratively. Some of them are very good managers. Some have very clear vision. Some are very movement-orientated. These are all good, good people doing a great job, but not necessarily fitting the apostolic label. The other side is, of course, that we know in the Bible there were quite a lot of apostles who never ended up leading any churches. They did a lot of apostolic work. I know you're out thinking, well, what's apostolic work? They're doing a lot of apostolic work without actually leading any churches. Look at Titus, who went to Crete, did a lot of church work with a lot of churches, never led any of them, but did his apostolic work. So what are we talking about when we talk about the apostolic? So I want to talk about four things that tell us about apostolic, but four things also that tell us a bit about us. So I'm hoping we're going to be a bit challenged. The first one is this, that really does define an apostle and really is about why Jesus sends apostles. And this is it. An apostle is someone sent. We know there's someone sent because that's what the word apostle means, sent. Apostolos is the Greek, and it means sent or messenger. But an apostle is someone who is sent with the whole gospel. Sent with the whole gospel. Now, that might sound a bit obvious, but the reality is that that's not how it goes. 1 Corinthians one twenty-three, Paul says this. Sorry, in Colossians one twenty-three, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, whole gospel. So this is that Jesus came as the revelation of God who made the whole world. And he came to a fallen world. Yes, you and I are part of that fallen world. We are the ones who messed it up, and we continue to mess it up. But Jesus came incarnate God, and he paid a price for what is wrong with us. And it cost him his life, but because that sacrifice was acceptable, God raised him from the dead with absolute power, where he sits at the right hand of God with authority over everything in creation. And he will bring all of creation to its complete and utter fulfillment and end. And at that point, everyone who is in Jesus will be completely redeemed and saved. But in the meantime, we are called to follow Jesus now so that we can, as Mark has already said, be transformed and be the light of Jesus in the world now. And that His work now is to bring us together as a body to be the representation of Jesus, filled with the same power that Jesus has by the Holy Spirit, filled with the same authority that comes from God the Father who raised him from the dead, and filled with the same light that was the incarnation of God through Jesus. That is what we're called to do. This is the whole gospel. One of the challenges, of course, is that the gospel ends up being a bit. So prophets who are very useful in the church bring a supernatural or spiritual revelation of the Word of God. Teachers get very excited and sometimes a bit grumpy about doctrine, and that's a very important thing, and about scriptural doctrine. Evangelists are very keen on the good news of salvation. Pastors really want to see renewal in relationships through Jesus. 
But the apostle's job is the whole gospel, the whole gospel. And the church has always suffered from partial. We, we all suffer from partial. First of all, there's the partial scripture. And goodness knows we've seen abuse in that, haven't we? Where a bit of scripture is taken out of context or a particular area is not properly applied into its whole Bible meaning. And therefore, what it means is distorted, and quite often the church becomes distorted, and quite often what happens is behavior becomes distorted. So we get partial scripture. But then we have the other partial, which is that we're all partial to something, aren't we? And we all, we all get a bit partial. We're a bit partial to, um, <clears throat> I'm partial to sin. I want to shout a lot about sin. I'm partial to end times. I'm partial to Old Testament law. We all get a bit partial. But that's not the whole gospel. And then the last partial that goes on is this, that we're already told that our understanding is partial. Now, this is a danger because, I don't know about you, but when I was quite young, I got to a certain point in my infallibility, around about 15, where where my understanding of everything was absolute. Uh, And I I went on a mission to obviously encourage a lot of people, a good deal of them older than me, about how right I was. Uh, And I had pretty well worked it out. I used to use a phrase, I used to use it a lot actually when I was younger. I used to go, it's obvious, isn't it? Because I pretty well reckoned that I had not a partial understanding. But the reality is that whatever we understand, we don't understand wholly. But there's a tendency for all of us to get a bit fixed in our understanding. But I tell you, well, the things that I thought I really understood, this is biblical things 20 years ago, I have a different view now. Because I didn't understand it. I understood it a bit, but only partially. But the, the whole thing about the apostle is the apostle's job is about the whole gospel, the whole of Scripture, the whole of the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the whole of our fullness in Christ is what the apostle brings. That's what they're sent with. Okay, the second thing about apostles is apostles bring something to the church. Apostles' job is to bring to the church a vision of Jesus. Now, this is the hardest thing for the apostle, but that is how it is. So, the earliest apostles were people who could actually physically talk about Jesus because they'd actually been with Jesus. But that changed quite quickly. So, Paul, for example, as an apostle, his entire experience of Jesus in that physical sense was a vision. He had a vision of Jesus. Others that then followed him, such as Titus and Timothy, again, these were people who could see Jesus through relationship. But it was a vision of Jesus. This is what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you with fear and trembling. See, not charismatic. I came to you with fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and pervasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power 
and so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's powers. The first apostles were with Jesus, but the future apostles were still charged with bringing that revelation with them. God incarnate. What was it Peter said? The only name by which people can be saved. But theirs is a tough job. Genuinely, the apostles' job is a tough one because there is an ongoing spiritual war raging even in the church to get everybody to not notice Jesus. And as soon as the church and as soon as individual Christians get Jesus into focus, there is a war to get Jesus back out of focus. As soon as the name of Jesus is on the lips of a Christian, there is a war to get the name of Jesus back off their lips. And the apostles' job is to stop that and to bring a vision of Jesus. Just be seated. So that's the war. Now, one of the interesting things about this is that it introduces areas which apostles have to speak against. One of them is this, the Jesus plus concept. So Jesus, all very well, did what he did, but actually that's not enough. We have to do other things. We have to be tremendously legalistic in in various things. I I, I do refer to it frequently, but it did influence me, Richard Whitney's sermon about the Bible being a book of rules and it not being a book of rules. But, you know, if you can't forgive yourself, then you are going to always be looking for stuff to do to earn. If you don't really understand the power of Jesus for salvation you will always have expectations of other people's performance because it reflects your own insecurity. But we preach the whole gospel, and that's a revelation of Jesus. The second thing that's happened in the church a lot is the somebody-in-between concept. Now, we know sort of pre-Reformation that there was a lot of teaching about Jesus being very hard and difficult to reach, and therefore you needed other people to talk to who would then go and talk to Jesus and so on. The idea that this somehow has passed out and has gone away from the Reformed Church is, of course, not true. Even now, we have people whose writings, for a lot of people, are read rather than the Bible. We have people whose explanations of our experience of God are turned to rather than sit quiet and get a revelation from the Holy Spirit. So don't for a second think that there's somebody in between Jesus' concept is, is exclusive to the pre-Reformation church. Not at all. It's alive and well in the evangelical church now. Then, of course, there's the better-than-Jesus concept. This is a very good and subtle one. It works very well in the church. And it is a spiritual war, and this is a spiritual war, which is, yeah, I met Jesus. I've had my sons forgiven. I don't really need to bother with Jesus anymore. I can go straight to the throne room and I can be in the throne. I don't need Jesus. Or equally, Jesus done his bit. I've got the Holy Spirit. I am pursuing Holy Spirit-related experiences all the time because that's where it's at. And Jesus is somehow a sort of finished work and a done redundancy. And you see this. This has been going on for centuries. It still works its way into the evangelical church now. All of this is about not giving Jesus his place, which is the most important part of Satan's work in the church, is to keep Jesus out of the church. Whose church is it? 
Who said I will build my church? Yeah, interesting that the builder is excluded, isn't it? So it's quite important, but Jesus is powerfully at work. So I want to point this out now. I want to just talk a little bit. I was having a conversation with somebody earlier this week because I was getting a bit worried about actually saying this, but okay. So here's the thing. This is what I've realized, and it's this, that in our little church bubble, we've kind of lost sight of how much God does in our lives that is utterly amazing. Do we agree with that? In fact, if we're not careful, we get to the point that unless somebody who's missing a head has their head grown back on, we're not really prepared to be that excited about it. But here's the thing. Outside of our Christian bubble, in the ordinary world, if we told people of all the extraordinary experiences that we have in our life when we pray and things are different, they would be blown away. And this is where we lose sight, is that in the early church, the church hadn't existed. The concept that somebody asked God for something and it happened was seen as truly miraculous. The idea that someone would go into a very difficult, dangerous situation and it would work out fine for no good reason was seen as amazing. It was seen as a sign that somebody was hobbling about one day and was prayed for and was walking with ease the next day was a cause for huge rejoicing. We've kind of got to a, a, I don't know, I don't mean you, I mean church, so please don't take this personally, but, you know, church has got to the stage where actually, you know, it's a bit like in the 1920s, tinned food was pretty amazing. You know what I mean? The idea that you could bring something from the other side of the world and it would stay fresh for a long time, I mean, maybe not 40 years, but you know what I mean, it's, it's there, was amazing. Now, tinned food boring because we're so used to it. What we don't realize often as a church general is how amazing our spiritual experience actually is and how much God really, really does to us. And one of the reasons for that is that Satan wants us to not testify. So we're kind of at the stage where testifying is quite scary. Therefore, unless it is utterly enormous... I'm not prepared to say because it will be a bit boring uh, or, you know, people will write it off. Let me tell you, if somebody's head grows back, there are plenty of people in the world who will write that off. Believe me, when Jesus did the most amazing miracles, it didn't change anything for people. People chose to believe or not believe. But we should be testifying. So in that sense, we should have an unrelenting presentation of Jesus. And the apostle's job is to do that. Okay, so what does the apostle do? This is the apostle's job. We saw it in Scripture. It goes over and over and over again, and it's this, that apostles are there to build. Apostles are builders. That's their job. That's what they're sent to do. So Jesus said to Peter, much misunderstood, he said, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, not Peter, by the way, Peter's confession, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. What was the confession that Peter said? Who knows? Pardon? Yes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On this rock I will build my church. 
guess what? Satan doesn't like the idea of a church built on Jesus. He'd sooner have it built on somebody else. Yes, it's a spiritual war. I know I go on about this, but it really, really, really is. And therefore, the apostle is there to build. So Ephesians says that Christ gave for apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up till we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that's the apostle's job, to build that up, to bring all the pieces together, all the living stones. Who are living stones? You're the living stones. Who's the cornerstone, though? Oh, don't forget that name, by the way. Can you just remember, just, just, just remember that name? Don't let anybody stop you talking about that name, because that is the cornerstone. If you're church, and you are, then you are built on Jesus, because he's the cornerstone. Let's not forget that. But more than that, the apostle's job then is to pull everybody together and to, to make sure that prophets are able to prophesy and teachers are able to teach and pastors are able to pastor and evangelists are able to evangelize and administrators are able to administrate and wise people are listened to because they are wise. And those that like to go out and do healings are released and enabled to go and do healing. And they all are one body. And one group doesn't get preeminence over another, and one group doesn't get forgotten, but everybody is built together. And that is an apostle's job, to equip the church, to equip the church. What does Ephesians 4 say we're equipped for? Works of service. Guess what? Serve others. Why do we serve others? Because we're living in unity and faith in the knowledge of the Son of God. That means we're following Jesus. Why? Because we become mature as a church and as individuals in the full measure of Christ so that we start to live differently. But we do it together. There's nothing worse than a one-sided church. And, and I'm sure, you know, we've all been in positions where we feel that particular areas are just being neglected and not being built up. But it's not an easy thing to do. And apostles are often not very popular. They're not very popular because they're building everybody together. And everybody who's excited and passionate about something thinks that their thing is more important than everybody else's. So, you know, it's not a way to make friends. Hopefully it's a way to influence people, but it's not necessarily a way to make friends. So apostles... Apostles are sent with the whole gospel. Apostles come with a vision of Jesus. Apostles are builders. How do they build? Here are the three things that apostles do to build. Number one, apostles are there to encourage. Now, encouragement is one of the biggest themes of the New Testament, that people should be encouraged. People should be encouraged to stand firm. People should be encouraged to listen to the Holy Spirit. People should be encouraged to move in their spiritual gifts. People should be encouraged to work together and be unified. People should be encouraged um, to add all the godly characters that we talked about, if you remember last time. People should be encouraged um, to, to go out. 
People should be encouraged to love each other, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. And that is a very, very important role. Only is there unity when there's encouragement. So a key action. The second thing that apostles are called to do is to enable. So again, here's a big New Testament theme. Release. We come across release, that people are released. So released from a lot of things. So this is what Peter says, his divine power has given everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world and its desires. It's interesting, that's a little phrase that has the whole gospel in it. Well done, Peter. Maybe he was an apostle. Who can tell? Yeah, so, and, and there is the thing, is that what is holding us back? Is it our personal baggage? We need release. Is it that we are frightened and reluctant? We need release. Is it that we do not have sufficient faith? We need release. Is it that we are not unified and therefore it's difficult to work well? We need released. Are we bound up with unforgiveness? A sense of inadequacy? No real idea of our identity in Jesus? All of those we need released. But here's the last one for apostles. And I think sometimes even apostles come to grief on this one. And that is, sorry, that that we release people and don't run everything. And that's one of the interesting things about apostles. And it's where we go right back to the beginning and say, are apostles big charismatic leaders? Well, sometimes not. Sometimes, actually, you don't notice them. Because what they are doing is they want everybody to be encouraged. They want everybody to be enabled. They want everybody to be released. Apostles are not making disciples for themselves. Apostles are not gathering acolytes. Apostles are looking to make disciples of Jesus. And part of that, remember back to Ephesians, what it says is about entering into the whole fullness of God. That only comes through Jesus, not through any other kind of leadership. So we see Titus goes and sets up leaders and the church then leaves, leaves them to lead the church. Paul clearly isn't leading any churches. He's just writing to churches and encouraging them to do things how they should. He's done what he had to do. If you think Paul was in Antioch for two years, building people up, and then he moved on, and they said, no, don't go. What are we going to do if you go? Well, if I get out the way, you're going to step up. Now, there's one of the apostolic roles, is to not be in the way of other people growing and maturing, to not be in the way. So it's encourage, it's enable, but it's also to release. So apostles, here we go. They're sent with the whole gospel. They bring a vision of Jesus and they moan about it a lot. Their job is to build the church, not necessarily to run the church, to build the church. And they do it by encouraging, enabling, 
And let's not forget releasing. So I know we're, we're running a bit of time, so I just want to give you a bit of a challenge here because there's, there's a second side to this, which is that the whole church is called to be apostolic. So we as a body are called to be apostolic. That's our role in the community. We are saint. Are we not saint? I think we said something about being saint. We are saint. What are we sent with? We're sent with the whole gospel. We have the gospel of hope, the gospel of reconciliation, the gospel of restoration, the gospel of a Jesus who is risen with absolute power. We are bringing a gospel of hope for what happens after this life is over. We are bringing a whole gospel. That's our job as a church. We are apostolic in the world. We're also bringing a vision of Jesus. The world covers God a lot. The word spiritual is just everywhere. Supernatural is a form of unhealthy obsession. But Jesus, Jesus is unmistakable. And that is what we are called to do. We're also called to be people who build up others. There are a lot of people in our, in our world who are broken, a lot of people in our communities who are broken, whose lives are not good, where things are not right. Our job is to build those people up and to build one another up. The Bible talks about that several times. And finally, that we are an encouragement. Wherever we meet people, we are an encouragement. Wherever we see that someone is searching spiritually, we enable that. And that we bring release in all sorts of ways. Physical healing, spiritual healing, prophetic insight, wisdom, perseverance. We are patient. We are humble. We are understanding. We will go the extra mile. We will serve. We will wait. We will not put ourselves above others. All of those things release people to see Jesus. So as a church, we're apostolic. The question is, what's stopping us? What stops us from being an apostolic church? Because when we are apostolic, we are salt and light in the world. When we are apostolic, we are salt and light in our families. When we're apostolic, we're salt and light in our workplaces, in our schools, in our colleges, in the clubs we go to, in the supermarket. We are an apostolic people. So I'm just going to challenge you to think, what can I do this week? What can I do this week that shows that I am part of an apostolic body that brings the gospel of Jesus to a broken world? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just want to thank you that you are the full revelation of God, that your gospel is complete and that there is nothing missing. Whatever gaps in our lives, the answer is in your gospel. Lord, we just thank you that we have that vision of Jesus that we can take out. Lord, that we are people who are enabled because we have all we need in Jesus to be building others up. And Lord, that we can be an encouragement in church and out church. We can be enablers in church and out church. And Lord, that we have words of freedom that enable release for the captive 
and freedom for the prisoner. Lord, just make us an apostolic people. I just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.